We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. On today's episode of BuzzBeat, we get into the Hornets' 10-point win over the Wizards and briefly discuss how Charlotte approached the trade deadline last week. All that up next. Blue Wire. With the third pick in the 2020 NBA Draft, the Charlotte Hornets select LaMelo Ball from Chino Hills, California. TJ. All right, guys, welcome into another episode. This is Richie, and I'll be joined by BG and Spencer today on a post game edition of Buzz Beat as the Hornets just beat the Wizards 114 104. They are now in fourth place. Well, they, they, they were in fourth place heading into it, and they continue to be in fourth place after this victory with a record of 24 and 22. And I want to thank both of you guys, because I know you guys would probably rather be watching some Elite Eight basketball right now. So thanks for joining me on the podcast here, guys. Absolutely. I'm going to fire up uh, Southern Cal Gonzaga tape as soon as we're uh, as soon as we're done recording here tonight. Uh, you're welcome, Richie. I have it on in the background, though. So, I, I mean, I'll at least be <laughs> I'm kidding. I, you have my full attention. If uh, if it was Michigan, Alabama, not Michigan, UCLA, mm, it would have been yes. harder to fight for my uh, fight for my attention. But I'll watch I'll watch Michigan, UCLA tape tomorrow morning. So and speaking of Elite Eight, we've got something going on on our BuzzBeat uh, Twitter handle here. We've got uh, we put out a poll for your favorite guest that you guys have enjoyed on the podcast so far and I don't know if you guys saw the results recently but which Carolina pulled off the comeback and, and beat Ashley Shamedy I don't know if you saw that <laughs> I did that was that was some really good celebration on Twitter I enjoyed that from which Carolina <laughs> he was definitely campaigning and it worked it worked it was funny because his his poll had like 40 or 50 more votes than any of the others just because he was trying to get others involved and there you go <laughs> All right, guys, let's uh, let's talk about this game, the good, the bad, the ugly, and the in-between here. It was a game that we were talking about prior that they just needed to win with the Brooklyn game coming up against a team like the Wizards that is obviously not very good. Sometimes you can get into some bad habits and not play the right way, knowing that you can kind of make up for it uh, in, the, in the later part of the game just because 
you're a better team than the Wizards. But it, it's it was an ugly game throughout. The Hornets went through some lulls. There was points in the game where you thought they were going to break away with like a 10-point lead. And then as immediately following that, the Wizards would cut it down to five. The one player that seemed to always come up with timely shots again and again this season is Terry Rozier. Uh, the, the biggest thing for me, like I said, is not just the points, just is when he's making these shots. Uh, in the third quarter, he had 12 points in that quarter alone, and it felt like every time the Wizards made a run, he came back and hit a timely three. And in the fourth quarter, he came up with some clutch shots as well. He won't win most improved player, and he probably won't even be in the conversation for that award. But just some of the subtle jumps that he made this season, the subtle strides that he's made from last season, I think it's something that we probably should talk about more. His mid-range game has improved. So he's just adding different things here and there, and he continues to show up clutch for this Hornets team. And I think he was the biggest reason as to why this Hornets team won this game. Yeah, again, uh, no question. You know, he takes over in these big minutes. You know, Terry started slow tonight. Didn't Mm -hmm. look like it was really going to be his game. And then, you know, we quickly got 12, I think, there in the third quarter and and never really cooled down. But his – I think what I see uh, offensively, his development, where it's really taken off, is there's just less wasted motion. You know, we we talked a lot last season on this podcast about – you know, him snaking pick and rolls and <laughs> kind of like running in to Cody Zeller or Bismack Biombo, uh, like, like on occasion last year. And I think part of that was Terry's development. I think the other part of that was those guys learning to play with him because he still snakes that pick and roll the same way, but he's now he's got the footwork down and the change of pace down and he can consistently get his defenders in that mid post area on their heels and then he just gets right into that little step back uh, jump shot, or if they're still right right in his hip, he gets a little you know a little ball fake, and he gets into the floater, and he's just really got an array of tricks, honestly, in that mid range area, and it's super super efficient, and it has taken a huge leap this year. But I would say, and Dell Curry said it on the broadcast tonight, and I think this is probably the best way to put it. He's like he's aggressive, really aggressive, hunting his shot as he should be towards the end of games, but he does it at his own pace and is under control as any guard in the NBA right now. And that, and I mean, that's, that's just the young players develop. This is what, you know, this is what they do. And my reasoning from the beginning of, Hey, let's not laugh this one down the toilet. When we acquired Terry is that he was still very young. He was 25 years old and we've seen him take a leap last year, more shooting the ball this year, really another leap shooting the ball, and then a leap actually playmaking for himself, getting his shot in that mid-range area uh, and at the rim effectively whenever he wants. And it's is it surprising? Yes. Um, but I think this is here to stay. I think this is Terry Rozier. I mean, he's got a chance to be one of the best closers uh, in the league. I mean, ultimately, at 30 years old, you know what? Terry Rozier probably does land on an off-the-bench kind of role, but like He's got a chance to be a closer for a long time, I think. Uh, And he's a big reason of why the Hornets have the ridiculous clutch efficiency and record that they have. Yeah, the uh, Terry snaking back in the way of uh, the guys who were screening and rolling for him last year. That's the uh, 
kind of stack pick and roll that you definitely don't want. That's not how James Frago has uh, has drawn it up uh, in the the huddle. Yeah, uh, just initial thoughts on sort of Rozier and how and you know how it you know tracks with the game tonight. He's shooting forty seven percent on catch and shoot threes this season. It just this is a gear that you just didn't see in Boston. You could have envisioned him certainly scoring more with more usage, but this is a guy that was brought in to be a point guard. And in my head, I was thinking lots of spread ball screens uh, from the middle of the court. And like, that wouldn't be good, but we all know that like that wouldn't be, that's not what Terry does best. Um, He can run a pick and roll, but he's usually better if it's out off uh, Chicago action, right? Or it's, it's an, you empty out a corner aside for him, as opposed to just, let's just give, you know, Terry 30 high pick and roll possessions per game. Um, It's a little different maybe against Washington because for the most part, in pick and roll, they're really dropping their big guys, and you can just sort of get whatever you want off the pull-up. They moved uh, Len and Lopez higher and closer to the level of the screen at times during the Charlotte's win tonight, but uh, none of those coverages were really working. And with that catch-and-shoot ability of Rozier, like, there's just they are able to take advantage of drop centers in ways that don't involve, oh, let's just come out of the timeout and run a run a pick and roll with Terry. A lot of these actions they run that are designed to get Terry a catch and shoot three, like curling off a screen on any of their throwback actions, any of their, their slice pin down screen, the screener stuff. All of those actions are absolute money uh, against drop centers, right? To get like Terry coming off a pin, uh, for a catch and shoot three. So that's just another sort of creative way to play the strengths of Terry as an offensive player and, and really pick on the, the weaknesses of a, of a, or the vulnerabilities of a, of a drop center defense. It was not the case when they played Miami the other week and bam was just spent half the game, just gobbling up every pick and roll or pin down that Charlotte was trying to run in the middle of the court, man, he is, he's ridiculous. Other things tonight, do you, anything else you guys want to say on, uh, on uh, on Rozier. The only other thing that I would say, it's it's kind of to your point, Brian, that with LaMelo out of the lineup because of injury, with Monk being in and out of the lineup with his injury recently, he has had more opportunities to bring the ball up the court as a quote-unquote primary ball handler. But the way that James Borrego runs the offense, he gets the ball out of his hands quicker. Like He's not like a point guard in, in, a, in a true sense. So the offense gets the ball out of his hands and he does come off of those curls, like you said, on those wide baseline cuts. That's the only thing that I wanted to mention. Even with the chance to be the primary ball handler, he's doing a better job within the offense to get rid of the ball and do what he does best and come off of those curls. So that's that's the last thing that I would say about that. Yeah, yeah, it's a good point. I mean, it sort of opens up another another topic that is maybe too, too deep for us to go all the way into, but I can even sort of segue out of it as well. But just like, yeah, it helps that they have some playmakers in the front court, right? Like I thought Miles Bridges had a good game at the nail um, against Washington, made a couple plays late when the Wizards went sort of like trapping zone defense. And obviously this was not, the Washington game was not a particularly good one for PJ who got two early fouls and then sort of seemed to check out, unfortunately, but we know what he can do. And, And I really think some of the five out stuff that they've done uh, with PJ recently has, has looked really good uh, when they can really open up the court and, and yeah, like they run a lot of those that like five out with Zeller in the middle uh, handling the ball where they get to those delay actions, um, those delay sets. 
And, uh, and so, yeah, those are ways to just sort of like, yes, Terry is the guy bringing it across half court and he's the guy that may finish the possession, but there's like a bridge between those two things, which is, um, I, th- I think good offense. It's Richie again, this time to talk to you about hosting your own podcast with our distributor, Blue Wire Pods. And there's no better place to host than Blue Wire Hustle. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and you just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive a personal cover art Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community Discord in an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is, you can get all of this for only $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So if you're ready to do more than just listening to us, talk about your favorite team, then make your voice heard and hustle. Acceptance into the program is limited. So get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com slash join. Check out the description box in this episode to find out more, but that's bwhustle.com slash join. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Cody Zeller was good tonight. Uh, it was a fun mm-hmm. game for him, I thought. That was one of the better games he's had. More, Maybe more complete games, because he's done some good stuff recently coming off the bench for them. But once again, he was great on the offensive glass tonight. Hit five, five offensive rebounds. He was so good on the glass. To me, at times, it really felt like Charlotte was like, at one point, I was like, man, they're really killing the Wizards on the glass, it seems like, here. And really, Charlotte did not have a great night, like in terms of offensive rebound percentage. But c- certainly, Cody helped in and really cashed in on a couple of those extra possessions. He had a couple of nice floaters early in the game yeah. when Washington was dropping their big guys. And then he had a couple of nice plays in transition. And then I also thought like the, the pick and roll dunk he had with Devontae um, right before halftime where they came up the... I think it was Lander Lopez came up higher to level the screen and he dove hard. And I just thought his screening against Washington's guards and giving Charlotte's guards, you know, runways into that drop coverage for Hayward to make plays. And I thought Gordon was really aggressive tonight for Terry, for Devonte to look for their shot. I just thought Zeller was, was, was really, really pivotal to, to Charlotte uh, versus Washington. 
And something he's really good at, we saw two times at least tonight, it might have been three of his five offensive rebounds, but, you know, when he is positioned, you know, at the nail in that kind of middle of the floor area, he's so good at tracking those long offensive rebounds off jump shots. He's And that's just something Biz, number one, Biz doesn't do because that's not where he's placed, you know, in that area. They don't run that same action when Biz is in the game. It's more mm-hmm. traditional high pick and roll, uh, Spain pick and roll. But Cody is really, really good at tracking those long offensive rebounds. We saw that again tonight. So, yeah, totally agree. One of the best games we've seen from Cody in a long time and refreshing because the Hornets absolutely need, you know, 25-ish minutes from him now that we know that yeah. Mac Biombo, Cody Zeller is the true center rotation. Yeah, that, that was the one thing, too. Once PJ got those second to two fouls and sort of checked out, it was just like, damn like it the, the lineups like they i thought this was one of those games where it was like you really didn't feel pj at five at all mm-hmm. like they, they played obviously they right. played yeah biz i mean it was biz and zeller the entire game those guys played the entire game at center for Charlotte. both those guys played 24 minutes each charlotte was plus 11 with zeller on the court and minus three with uh with biz in the game I do want to bring up the minutes real quick with the center rotation. I, I, I'm sure you guys have noticed this in the past few games or so. It, it feels like Biombo has been playing more minutes than Cody Zeller. Uh, I actually just looked it up in the last three games. Biombo, I mean, not including this game, but Biombo has played 63 minutes while Cody Zeller has only played 39. And to your point, Brian, they both played the same amount of minutes tonight but probably that could be due to the fact that P.J. Washington was in foul trouble. So do you wonder if P.J. Washington's not in foul trouble, will they will you know J.B. go back to more minutes of Biz versus Cody Zeller? I'm not really sure, you know, kind of what's going on here. Biombo obviously is getting the start. Cody Zeller played well tonight, like you guys have mentioned, but it, it's been a weird rotation with this center rotation mainly because of injury, but it just seems like it's been going back and forth, back and forth in terms of which center gets the most playing time. And I'm not really sure what they're looking for here uh, as they progress down the stretch here. Yeah, I, I've thought about this a lot too. I I'm, I don't know. It, it is a pretty interesting question to ponder. And I just assumed that they would kind of plug this hole in one way or another at the trade deadline or through the buyout market, which, which it doesn't look like they're going to do. Um, my guess would be they're saving Zeller up to an extent. Uh, now that they kind of know they're trying to, I mean, they're going, I mean, quote unquote, going for it. I mean, they're going to try to get a top six seed, right? But the, the one weird thing about that, Richie, to your point, is that I still think they'd start Cody, you know, because, he, I mean, if he's just not going against starting centers for a stretch of time, unless they switch it up at some point, it's like, I don't know, just from like a conditioning physicality standpoint, he'd need those reps as we go into the playoffs. But it, it is weird. It definitely is weird that Biz has been getting the start number one and just consistent, consistently seems to be getting more minutes here recently. My only guess was it's at the trying to save Cody up. And and you know what? Maybe that's the right call because he's a, you know, he, he, we should place him Rachel. in a bubble probably soon yeah. anyways. Yeah. So. Yeah, you let just let Biz be the innings eater. I, I guess is sort of the the thought here. But yeah, I guess my I, it doesn't bother me all that much at, at this point. Um, even if it does leave Charlotte exposed at certain times, I just I am hopeful that let's assume Charlotte gets a top six seed. But this this can work for the play in scenario too. Just for when Charlotte's in the postseason, quote unquote, whether that is the actual playoffs or the the, the play in scenario. Um, man, I really hope we get, and a lot of this will depend on, you know, injuries, health, 
uh, foul trouble. But I really do hope that the 48 minutes of center are as close to as humanly possible of PJ and Zeller, obviously. Mm-hmm. Like, I just don't. I the clearly the, the the this coaching staff has this has far more trust in in Biz and I don't want to put like all of the faults on on Biz you know it's like uh, I think he's Richie you and I talked about this I think kind of recently like he, he ends up being a bit of a scapegoat right. in, in a lot of different ways um, because he's not part of the young core you know he or because like he's also like the I mean he is not he's not a he's you know he's not he's the worst guy in the rotation probably depends on maybe how you feel about the martins or if they're really even in the rotation um but i just think in the postseason like it's an it's imperative that your 48 minutes of center are as much zeller and and as much pj as is humanly possible and really the next that extends out to like your 96 minutes of center and power forward need to be Zeller, PJ Bridges, and some probably some Hayward too, right? Like, like, the, like, you know, I, like the, I, I think, I think, I think you have to get as close to that 48 and that 96 minute groupings with those two guys and with those four guys. Yeah, I, I agree. I think the only matchup that makes that untenable here we are talking about Hornets playoff matchups uh, <laughs> that makes that like completely untenable would be against Philadelphia. Right? Course, like, right. It, yeah. I think yeah. every other like even I'm thinking just on top like Atlanta with Capella, maybe uh, Milwaukee, yeah. but I don't even know if Brooke Lopez is going to be playing for Milwaukee in the play. So yeah. like there's only a few matchups that you're like, oh, yeah, PJ can't really play five in the Eastern Conference. So I, yeah. I, I think that door should be open. Atlanta's a very good offensive rebound team. So so maybe if you thought, oh, we really yeah. need this to shore up the glass or whatever, but uh I'd rather sacrifice that and then just go to go to that series, like a Hawks Hornets, like how quickly would I mean I guess Capella's been really good for them, but like I do feel like that that game would that that matchup could like very quickly boil down to like Collins at the five, PJ at the five, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and then uh you both teams go to battle from there, but the nostalgia matchup I'm pulling for is New York Charlotte first round. Though I just think that would be so fun. Just like yeah. if you were around for early '90s Hornets, mid '90s yeah. Hornets basketball, yeah. it just that playoff matchup would mean something to you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought you were going to say, Spencer, as long as uh, Robin Lopez isn't in the playoffs, I think we'll be good at the five. I mean, his hook shots, man, tonight were God, just freaking he ridiculous. He threw in some slop. They, Washington, this game was only, like, kind of close because they just threw in some slop tonight. Mm-hmm. Seriously, like Westbrook. Hachimura has shown yeah. some improvement, man. It feels like he, he, he can is. shoot on every, player, every zone on the court there. But, yeah, I mean, we yeah. had no answer for him. He may, the, the three assists he had tonight may have been a season high he's had. And also, about half his shots are coming from the mid-range still, too. He's still not a very uh, efficient offensive player, though. He was, like, quite good against Charlotte. Yeah. And the, the face-up like drive-by he had on P.J. was, like, that that should that should hurt PJ a little bit, honestly. That, that shouldn't have felt too good to, for that to happen. Yeah, it just didn't feel like Hornets were like locked in for like sixty percent of this game because they knew that they could just come back and, and score and and make some stops here and there. And, and just Washington's team is just poor on both ends of the court. Did this feel like watching a Hornets game like a couple of years ago? Like just. This sort of like you're not sure what the direction of the Fran like what is I, what's Washington doing like now between now and when they inevitably trade Brad Beal, I just don't know what the I'm, I'm not sure what the plan is and you're just sort of like 
floating around watching one guy, uh, you know, run a bunch of pick and roll and try to generate offense. You're looking at these late lottery picks and in Hachimura was, was, was okay tonight. Um, Denny Advia was had struggled mightily, but I don't know. It just, it felt to me, it felt like watching a Hornets game in 2018. It's just like, I see, I see what you mean. Yeah. Just kind of like, what, what is, what is that? What am I watching? What are either one of these teams? Where are they going? Now, obviously we have some context as Hornets fan, fans with LaMelo out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. To be, to be looking up, but yeah, Washington, well, i tell you what, that's sad, sad set of affairs right now. And uh, I, I do think, and then we can move on here. I, I, I think they'll trade Beal in the off season. Uh, I think it was fine for them not to deal him. Uh, yeah. Mid season, you know, it's always easier to make those deals when people know when they're drafting, anyways, and what they're actually parting ways with uh, in terms of draft capital. So, but they got to do something. I mean, this Russell Westbrook deal, though, is is it's I don't know. A, it's such a weird epilogue for him. Like mm-hmm. as he like fades, as he truly fades into like not no longer being like a a, a winning, like a really like a true winning basketball player. Yeah, it's bizarre. The stat, I mean, the triple doubles are, 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 I guess, are cool, but uh, they really do very little to drive like winning, efficient, you know, half court basketball. Last two players I do want to mention, and you guys can add to this if you'd like before we get into the the trade deadline stuff of last week. I do want to mention Gordon Hayward because he has been, I guess, struggling lately. He just he just really hasn't been inserted into the game where it feels like his presence has been felt. Uh, he had a, a pretty strong start to this game where he had played in all 12 minutes of the first quarter, had 15 points in the first quarter, two of three in the mid-range, or the long mid-range, excuse me, and three of three from behind the arc. He finished the game with 26 points on 59% true shooting percentage. He definitely had some lulls in this game where, like, in the middle of the game, it just didn't feel like everything was going for him. But, you know, in the beginning of the game and also towards the end, they went to him a couple times late. And then Devontae Graham, I think that with LaMelo out, he's one player like Malik Monk is that's going to have to step up. And he's played very well recently. And almost all of his, well, not all of his his success, but most of his success has been on those above the break threes where he was so good last season. And I actually tweeted this before the Phoenix game, but he's sixth in the NBA and above the break three-point percentage in like his last handful of games of of those players that have shot like a healthy number from behind the arc. And to Brian's point earlier, one of the more telling plays at the end of the game was when they were trying to get the ball out of his hands because they know that he and Rozier are, are their best players in the clutch. And I don't know if it was, I think it might have been Rui and uh, Avdia that were kind of making this uh, like blitz at him. And he just calmly split it with the pass to Miles at the nail. And then Miles went up and finished it with the dunk. Uh, so teams do know that he's great in clutch play so those are the only two players that i wanted to mention before we moved on uh to the to the trade deadline yeah they trapped yeah. they trapped they trapped Devonte with like a minute left in the third yeah. quarter too and he he like taught he, he kicked it out he skipped it to miles who then got it to hayward for uh for for a layup right at the rim i i thought i thought this was a good game for miles at the nail and like as like a link up player uh, i thought he did some made some like pivotal plays for them offensively tonight I think I thought Washington had some chances to throw two at Rozier uh, when he had the ball at the top towards the end of that game too earlier. Well, I don't think they ever actually did. Uh, it's similar to what you're talking about with Devontae with about a minute left, but uh, I thought they had some chances to do that, get it out of his hands earlier. They didn't. You know, Charlotte too, they're just, even without LaMelo, 
They are anytime they see a high, you know, a high hedge off of a ball screen, Devontae's gonna get it out quickly. They when Biz is off the floor, whether it's Zeller or PJ in there at five, it's five really good passers now. Yes. Like that's yeah. what makes them so hard to defend. Yeah. Uh, without like you you know, if you're in a casual fan, you just look at their roster, you're just like, I don't understand how this team does this yeah. as consistently as they do. They just spray it around the floor really good, really consistently. Yeah. In, in, even when Monk and LaMelo aren't playing, because they can still get to the lineup of Graham, Rozier, Hayward, uh, in, in, you know, either PJ, Miles, or in Cody, some combination of those three. Spencer, you mentioned this earlier about a Hornets-Knicks matchup, and, and currently they're 4-5 in the East right now. And I'm monitoring it daily. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. I'm watching it, yeah. <laughs> who, who do you think on a national scale, who do you think more people have trust in the Hornets or Knicks in a seven game series, not coming from us, but like just from, just from like national outsiders. What do you think? I, I mean, I don't know. I, the answer is probably neither, but just because the Knicks play in a big market, they're, yeah, yeah, it's probably like uh, New York. Yeah, you know what I mean? There's yeah. not like a whole lot of thought put into it. It's just kind of like, Oh yeah, Julius Randle was an All Star, right? Yeah, yeah, we trust the Knicks more. I think it would almost be entirely dependent on like whether Lamelo was playing or not. That's true. You know, that's true. But yeah, uh, right. it is funny to think about. I mean, look, everything's so bunched up in the East. You know, this stuff is this stuff could be different in mm-hmm. ten days from now or whatever. But like, it is funny to think about. Like, it's it's all about to be April and Spencer's monitoring the <laughs> New York, like, like this could like perhaps the pre like the thought three months ago of Charlotte, New York being the four or five match. It's hilarious. It's just, yeah. oh, it's hilarious. Yeah, it's, so it's amazing. Um, also, I mean, that carries like real off season, yeah. um, probably ramifications for either one of these teams. If they actually do yeah. make a four or five <laughs> series and then win a playoff series, to inevitably lose to Brooklyn in the second round, but still, like, yeah. you win a playoff series as New York or Charlotte, to Brian's point, from where those two franchises came into this season. Now, Steve Dolan or Michael Jordan is going to say, all right, we're one step away, and that's probably not going to be uh, – that's probably not going to be very close to the truth. We're probably still three steps away, but the East yeah. States. So. New Orleans is – or, pardon me, New York can have, what, $40 million in cap space? Yeah, it's like yeah. we are we are yes. gonna offer sheet the hell out of Lonzo Ball, right? Like, and, like and the Pelicans, way, like the Pelicans, yeah. like buddy, you're you probably have to crack open the the purse. To, and we've to been here before, this guy, you know. And we paid Marvin Williams and Nick Batum that summer. Yes, that summer was the cap spike, uh, but Charlotte also finished <laughs> sixth in the East. They finished sixth in the East, tie third, for third. Yeah, third so yeah, it's like kind that. of the same thing. You know what I mean? It's yeah, very bunched up again too. We, we don't have a bunch of uh, like mid-level free agents that, have to, that we have to resign this summer. We do have free agents, so at yeah. least are, are saved from that, uh, making the same deal with the devil twice there, I think. Well, that's a nice segue to the uh, the trade deadline of last week because the Hornets did not make a Well, they made a move, but they didn't really make a move. They got Brad Wanamaker, uh, who to me is just strictly an insurance kind of minute eater guy right now. It's great that he has some kind of Boston Celtic pedigree. You know, we those players seem to do well on our roster, and I'm, I believe he's played with Rozier and Hayward. But again, yeah. that, that can yes. only take you so far. 
I don't know. Is it just me or when you saw him out there against Phoenix, he played way smaller than six. I didn't realize he was six, three. Like I looked at him, he looked like he was like five eleven. Like he was like, <laughs> they went to him the first play of the game and like he was getting uh, mismatched in the post. And uh, there's like a lot of offensive rebounds over his head. Like he just was a little bit smaller. And obviously his shooting numbers went down this year in Golden State. I mean, is there anything to add to Brad Wanamaker being on this team right now? Or is he really just a minutes eater? Like I said. Yeah, I just think he's I think he's deep pitch insurance. I, I would have understood this trade a lot more if we would have gotten a second round pick, which is what I expected. Uh, so I, I don't know. Like it was just a cash grab, uh, you know, obviously, which is fine. Like it's what owners do, especially when money's a little bit tight, which it is right now for all these owners. So I, you know, I, I kind of do understand a little bit from that perspective, but I'm also like Gorgie Jane, Jane got, I think like $1 million of San Antonio's uh, mid-level exception. So it's like, yeah, you got cash, but you, but I mean, I don't know how much of Wanamaker's salary Charlotte's paying. Um, probably not very much because they saved golden state. So freaking much luxury tax by just taking him. So I, I don't know. It's just like, the juxtaposition of Michael Jordan sometimes with the moves that he makes like this one, which again, like it's not going to spend too much time on his small marbles, but like it's a cash grab, but you also like want to win. And a lot of the free agents moves that you make that seem to be way ahead of schedule and ill-timed are to win games. So it's like, why wouldn't you try to improve your roster for just as much money, like seriously improve your roster by going and getting a guy like Jang for, for actually less money than you're ultimately going to pay for this Wanamaker acquisition. Like that's the kind of stuff that I, I don't, I don't understand sometimes. Like it's just kind of hard to wrap your mind around. It doesn't do anything for this basketball team. What is the real financial win here? Yeah. Gorgie could have really helped this team out. I mean, he's a knockdown three point shooter and he would be a, he would be a defensive upgrade over Mm -hmm, biz. That's mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah, I actually thought it was a good bit of business from San Antonio, like the moves they made with Aldridge and, and signing Jang. I thought that was a good job by their San Antonio's front office um, right at the deadline there. Yeah, Jang would have been a would have been a nice little help for Charlotte. Could have given if Lamelo ever comes back. You know, he's a pick and pop partner uh, for Lamelo. Uh, and by the way, they could have done this even after acquiring Brad Wanamaker. I mean, Charlotte still has like. Yeah. 1.8 in salary yeah. cap space. If they yeah. just literally give him that and stay one penny under the cap, they yeah. outbid what San Antonio did. So it's just, that's the part of it. I'm like, I mean, can you not see this as clearly the spot on your roster that needs help? Yeah. Yeah. It, it was know, like, it's just frustrating. it was just like, um, yeah. And because I'm fine with them playing the deadline more conservatively, though I do think there is some like weird dissonance between, going out and getting Gordon Hayward this offseason, even if that was a move that you were you had eyes beyond 2021 on. You were, you were thinking this is going to help us not just in year one, but years two and three or whatever. And we've discussed that that transaction ad nauseum um, and sort of like how it made sense both as an addition in 2020 and perhaps in 2021, even if we sort of didn't agree with the principle of going for it. But then Charlotte is doing a little bit of a, a weird thing of we've, we're, we're pushing some of our chips in we're, we're saying we're all in, but really like we're also playing things pretty conservatively as far as like how we're 
how we're keeping tabs over our, our draft assets and our young players. And like, I actually think like, again, I am totally for them being very cautious with their picks. I didn't like any of these proposed deals that were being floated publicly by insiders for Turner. All of them felt like they were a little bit too much. I would have been curious to see what the actual cost of Rashawn Holmes, yeah, uh, Holmes trade was. Um, when I talked with Sacramento people, they felt like he had to be at least a first round pick. Mm-hmm. Um, that felt a little bit too much for me too, depending on protections and stuff. Um, and even for an expiring made, contract, yeah, yeah right. That that's number really, that's that's hard to do, especially because like I do think a Sacramento deal would have, they would have, I don't think they would have been super interested in someone like Monk, who's a restricted free. Like if you were, if you had to include a good young player, I think it probably would have had to have been like, you know, miles or PJ. And then you're like, yeah, this is just, yeah, this no, is too, yeah. I'm walking away. This is, this is too much. Yeah. Uh, I'm not doing this for a guy that's going to be like a, you know, potentially just a rental for this team. Right. Um, yeah. Tra- trade a so, rental for a rental. That, that was kind of my thinking trade Monk for Holmes. And yeah, right. we'll, we'll throw in a yeah. first round pick, even though it might be, a little bit more protected than maybe you would want at Sacramento. But I think yeah. when it all comes down to it, Brian, you're probably happy that they, they didn't go after Turner or yeah. Holmes. So no, um, I am. Yeah, I am. It, even though, even though it's like it, you know, you left yourself, you're, they're a little exposed at center. They are. I mean, everyone, everyone knows this, even the casual people following this team know that they're, that not only are they exposed at that position in terms of depth, but like when you look at this, when you look at how this team performs on both ends of the court, like, they are missing a pressure point at both ends of the rim, you know, and there were guys that could have gone out and helped that. I really don't, I really wasn't, people were also talking up the Turner fit. Like, Oh man, this guy will be such a great pick and pop fit with LaMelo. Like I don't really like miles Turner's offense that much. To be yeah. totally honest with you. I, I think the people PJ that say that P- haven't watched enough of miles Turner. Hold PJ, PJ is a better pick and pop shooter period. Like it's the no, oh. end of story. Yeah, like it's, no it's not even close. You know, Turner is like a 31% three point shooter. He doesn't post up. He can't rim run. He's not really a lob guy. He doesn't get to the line that much. I was just like this. Certainly he would help the parts of the defense, like the rim protection mm-hmm. in, 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 a, in a certain sense. But that that is like, oh, man, Charlotte could go get a, a pick and pop partner for LaMelo. It's like they literally have that on the roster already. Like it. Yeah. He, and he's he's, you know, he's 23 years old and on a second year of a rookie contract. I would say that Miles Turner is not like off the table for Charlotte either. I mean, that is a pretty good number that he's at. I, I shouldn't say it's pretty. I mean, it's a fine number, 17 and a half, I think, for yeah. two more years at age. I think he's literally turned 26 this week, maybe. Like, I wouldn't, I, I still think that's a possibility for the Hornets. It just makes sense in a lot of different ways. It's the number one needle in the roster, it's a pretty decent cap number. Uh, he fits their age timeline. Like I could see that happening, but just from talking to like some Pacers guys uh, leading up to the trade trade deadline, I, I, yeah, I to back to kind of what you were saying, BG. I'm not. I understand Miles Turner is one of the uh, more impactful defensive centers in the league, but I think we don't talk about his offensive liabilities uh, yeah. enough. I, so. And I think it should be mentioned too. I mean, depending on like what reporting you believe or whatever. I mean, it, it sounds like the Hornets did try to get in on Vucevic the last second yeah. too. Yeah. Uh, yeah so I, I you know, I, I wonder if it was they were actually trying to do it the whole time and just couldn't come up with a package, or they found out what Chicago was offering and were, it was like, well, um, we can actually give you an extra young player that Chicago can't, but we're not going to throw in that extra for, I think, I think it was probably reactionary. I think it was probably, we heard, we heard the price and then tried to get in at the last second. 
but I'm I'm actually I don't hate that trade for Chicago is no. some of the narrative, but I'm glad the Hornets didn't do that. This is it's actually insane. what happened, Spencer. This is actually what happened. I don't, I don't know if you know this, but uh, so what happened was Tell me. just let you know. So they were they had this deal in place and uh, <laughs> Monk was included and they ran it by Clifford and Clifford was like, who Monk? No, 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 no. I, I didn't play him <laughs> yeah. in Charlotte. Yeah. yeah let, let, let's nix this trade. That, that's really what yeah. happened, Spencer. Yeah, I, I could. That makes uh, sense. Okay. Yeah. I, I could I could see that I could see that happening. Um, yeah. By the way, it is not Bulls have not looked great since um, since Vucevic got there. Although he's played quite mm-hmm. well, he's a very he's obviously a tremendous offensive player. Yeah. My initial read on that was, and I and I say this is someone that's like probably a little bit higher than Wendell Carter Jr. Um, even though I am worried, like he very much is a prospect in distress. At the moment, I still think he can become a, a starter on a winning team, but I'm having to back away from some of the projections I had with him coming into the league three years ago. When I initially saw that deal, I thought this is too much. And and I don't know, I chewed on it a little bit more and it it, it was fine. Like they, but they went for it and it better work for them. <laughs> like it, like it, and right now, like early returns are, are not like entirely encouraging. This would be like if Char- if Chicago like ate shit down the stretch here, it would be a it would be a really bad look. It'd be a really bad look after they disaster. Yeah, I don't remember who tweeted it today, but it was. This, I think this is pro. Again, I don't hate this as much for Chicago some, but I think this is probably pretty good logic. It's like, hey, we're pushing all our chips in to go get Nick Vucevic. Um, uh, a center who's probably on the last year or two before we start to see serious decline in his game. And we did this. So we actually can retain uh, Zach Levine. So we can pay Zach Levine probably $200 million. That's why we did this trade. It's like, when you think of it from that logic, you're like, Oh boy, this could get ugly fast. Yeah. 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 And and they didn't like they, you know, I'm not surprised they couldn't swing the, 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 the marketing deals to new Orleans for a lot. Like that just never made, that never made a, a whole bunch of sense for me. Um, unless they were really trying to leverage Lonzo's, you know, sort of like upcoming restricted free agency as a reason for why new Orleans would want to move him, but he's such a great young player and marketing kind of stinks. So uh, I, that, that just, that those hypotheticals never made a whole lot of, of mm-hmm. sense to me. Yeah, I, I thought Orlando, they had a weird day at the deadline, but I thought they mostly did. Uh, I don't know. Maybe the return was not as great as everyone wanted it to be, but they got a lot of stuff, you know, so they, they were know. decisive in what they wanted to do. I'm glad that they didn't just hang on to Vooch and hang on to Aaron Gordon because they weren't really going anywhere with those two, you know, with the roster that they had. So, yeah, they, they, they might have gotten more picks or maybe they shouldn't have gotten more picks in the return. But uh, overall, I, I think they did what they had to do uh, and, and get off of those guys. And as far as the Hornets, as we mentioned, guys, uh, that they, they probably could have gone after Jang. He was a realistic get. Obviously, Drummond and LaMarcus Aldridge were these high-profile names that they really were never going to get. But uh, I think when it's all said and done, being conservative, not making a move, and risking some of your future assets was really the way to go. So we want to thank you guys for tuning in to another Buzz Beat. For Spencer, for Brian, I am Richie. We'll see you guys next time. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. 
That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.